where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. If you came hungry today for a message of hope and peace, the prophet Isaiah has a vision for us all to feast on. A vision of righteous, righteousness and justice in the person of a leader. An age of harmony and peace to come in a world that was void of those things. Let's listen to what Isaiah has to say about the righteous and just leader. A child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Her authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. She will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. Wouldn't that be nice? Isaiah's vision points us toward a stump, literally a family tree that has been toppled. We're invited to look at a new branch growing in an unexpected place. Let's listen to these words. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. Righteousness shall be the belt around her waist and faithfulness the belt around her loins. You could just sink into that, can't you? It's like, oh, finally, it'll be taken care of. Someone we can trust and rely on. Someone who will put God first. So that's the ruler or the leader that Isaiah paints the picture of. And then there's this beautiful image of harmony and peace. A peaceful territory where the predator and prey are side by side and where the powerful and the vulnerable are side by side. You've heard this before. If, if scripture is not new to you, I bet. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. I'm guessing these have inspired many YouTube videos. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, 
For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Whether we're looking at Hebrew, Greek, or Arabic, the word for peace means totality or completeness, wholeness, harmony, well-being. Whether we say shalom or arene or salam, it's peace be unto you. Peace be with you. Peace is relational. It involves our relationship with ourselves, with our community, and our families, with the natural world and the realms that are beyond our knowing and our naming. Looking at the word uh, in Greek, the arene, it comes from the primary verb to join. Peace has something to do with joining. And I'd like to suggest that the absence of peace is not war. It's dissonance. With musicians right here in the front row, I'm confident you are familiar with dissonance. I'm equally confident that the rest of you are as well. You've been in those situations where you've enjoined a conversation and all of a sudden it starts going in a direction that leads to discomfort. Or perhaps you've been the one that starts going in a direction that leads to the discomfort of others. And I don't mean comfort as in cozy, blanket, puppy comfort. I just mean something's happening inside, saying, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not sure we're connected on this. And I'm guessing you're familiar with this feeling. Maybe you have it right now. (laughs) What am I doing in this church? (laughs) We're not going to focus on that this morning. We're going to focus on peace. (laughs) Or the title of a book that I just love, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible. Because I do think the heart is an important center for peace. Dissonance of the mind is easy. Our invitation always is to go deeper to the place of heart, to see if there truly is dissonance. And the beautiful world our hearts know is possible is a world where beliefs, ideas, values, and actions are in harmony. That's the easiest way to say it. Our beliefs, our ideas, our values, and actions are in harmony. And if they're not, we can easily say, oop, let me bring that in a little bit. And we do this not by avoiding the dissonance that exists in our lives and families, communities, and the world, but by being attentive to the ways we talk about it. Recognizing that our stories and conversations have the potential to heal. There are plenty of stories that can leave us feeling depressed and disempowered. Typically, you can just turn off the TV. (laughs) It's hard to turn off the person beside you. It's worth thinking about how our stories shape us. And in thinking about this, I was led to um, and reminded of the very first sentence of M. Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled. His first book was Life is Difficult. That's one way of shaping a life and a story, right? The second book, 
little further along, the road less traveled, we switched it to life is complex. If you woke up every day and said, life is difficult, what's that going to lead to? Difficult situations that you must conquer so you can feel good about your life. Life is complex. Ah, what am I missing here? Maybe there's more to this. Maybe there's something else. I had a conversation with a community member at Ziggy's recently, and she was talking about an event that she was going to be going to with her spouse. And it was going to be a very small, it was going to be a large gathering, but they were going to be with um, the spouse's boss and wife. And there was a lot of anxiety about it. Like, uh uh-oh, you know, I've been seeing these posts on Facebook from the boss. And not, this language wasn't used, but I'm going to interpret it for you now with, and there was great dissonance because this boss was very generous during a scary time in this family's life. He said, I'm going to help you with this. But then these Facebook posts were of uh, a lot of passion that was on a very different road than the employee. I know you get this picture. And here's what happened in the course of that conversation. I've never had, you know, every conversation is different. Um, Some people think that ministers walk around with cue cards. You know, you say this then. If this comes up, go to this card. It's way too confusing for me, and I typically don't have pockets anyway. So what what happened was we started sort of role-playing how to handle what might happen. Like, you know, the question of what do you think is something that the boss is going to say. Easily rattled off a few things. And what came in in the sense of that connectedness was, I wonder what would happen if you said, you know, you really, it's obvious that you really care about this. Tell me more about what you care about. Because what's the other alternative? What are you going to do? debate. I mean, you can't dance the whole night. There was going to be dancing, and we sort of chuckled at it. Well, at least you can dance. But seriously, wow. Have you ever thought about that when someone's really just like speaking with a lot of passion, even if it's something that you agree with or care about, about just saying, wow, you really care about that. seems like you really care about that. I think that's a wonderful and beautiful way of making a connection. It doesn't mean you agree. It's just a way of making a connection. And in that way, peace is the way to itself. The practice of peace is the way to peace. And every story we tell can heal us. In honor of uh, Mr. Rogers, my esteemed colleague, and that wonderful movie that feels like therapy for most adults. You know, he always said, look at the heroes and look at the helpers and tell those stories. All right, so here are a few stories. Deep in the racial segregation of Georgia, 1942, Florence and Clarence Jordan. Jordan was a Southern, um, Clarence was a Southern Baptist minister. They started a community called Koinonia, 
which means, I didn't pronounce that very well, but it means participation and community. It's that connectedness. And it was a place where brown and black and white-skinned people lived in community. It was a farm. Several years they lived in relative peace. But as the civil rights movements progressed in the 50s and the 60s, they were targets of hate and extreme violence. But they did not act in ways that contradicted the gospel value of nonviolence. And they persevered. They didn't just persevere, they actually thrived. You may not be aware of this, but Millard and Linda Fuller lived on the farm for several years, the founders of Habitat for Humanity. In fact, um, Florence and Clarence Jordan's nephew worked for the Jimmy Carter administration as chief of staff. You see that web of support that can be built? by holding on to the gospel value of nonviolence and living in harmony with values. Here's another one. Um, You've probably learned that medical debt contributes to more than 60% of all bankruptcies. Maybe you haven't heard that exact thing, but you know it's a big issue, right? And 75% of all individuals in medical bankruptcy had health insurance coverage. Staggering, isn't it? Wow. How does that happen? Well, someone at Trinity UCC in Chicago was reading about this. And Trinity UCC and the National United Church of Christ teamed up. And they raised $38,000 just from congregations like this, which was able to buy them more than $5 million worth of medical debt. It's pennies on a dollar. It's like, what's the, um, what's the movie with... Uh, Beth, what's the movie we're watching? It's a Wonderful Life. Um, <laughs> I don't usually have to phone a friend, but I wanted you to... You know, it's like, it's a wonderful life where the banker's like, I'll buy your debt for 50 cents on a dollar. Criminal. Crook. Uh, sounds like you really care about this. No. Um, <laughs> so pennies on the dollar... 38,000 translated into $5 billion of medical debt. 6,000 families in the south side of Chicago were relieved of that debt. On Giving Tuesday, um, I can't wait to hear what we do on Wednesdays now, Cyber Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Giving Tuesday. Let's just rest on Wednesday. Um, <laughs> Giving Tuesday raised more than $60,000. For that, And that will translate again into millions of dollars of debt, medical debt relief. These are great stories. Now back to that leader that they were waiting for. <laughs> it's us. You see. It's us following the one that came, that is still here, and is going to come again. It's the one we are invited to know intimately and to be known intimately by the one that walks beside us and the one that walks before us and asks us to come and reveals himself, their self to us in new new ways. But if we're stuck in these stories of despair, stories that depress us and disempower us, 
We're not going to be able to look in that unlikely place like a lopped off tree stump. I mean, think even of our own community member, Peter Bronsky, who recently gave a TED Talk. And he said, let's tell the story that clean energy has already won. He says the narratives of despair can be very convincing, but we need to live with applied hope, which is working to change or beat the odds. And that is the path to peace. Not living the narratives of despair. Because, frankly, they don't hold up. They really don't. I mean, look at your own life. Has it held up? It's lasted for a season, for some decades, but has it held up? I hope not. If not, Ziggy's, 2 o'clock, Thursdays. But who are the heroes and helpers you turn to? What are the stories you live by and tell? Can you tell your stories in a way that heal and encourage and empower? I love it when, you know, the passage of the week and the meditations on peace, you know, sort of control my week. And on Friday, we went to Brainerd Lake for some snowshoeing. We were sick of snowshoeing on the golf course. So we went to Brainerd Lake. And we ended up on the sourdough trail, and it's not good to follow me on a trail. We were going in the wrong direction. I mean, I thought we were going this way, and then we were going to cut off onto something else, but it ended up we stayed on the sourdough trail for five hours. I know. It was great, though. Um. (laughs) And, you know, it was only two and a half out and two and a half back, but... You know, we got back and we're like, what's a sourdough trail? Never heard of it. And it's rated as difficult, the road less traveled. But what we found was that it really just was complex. There were not many expansive vistas along the way. It was quite narrow. And about two and a half or three miles in, there was a peace memorial bridge. And I can't remember if it was like before the bridge or probably after the bridge. You know, there were trees that were down, so we had to reroute a few times. But we ended up in this, like, 300-degree bowl. So it's a very small opening, but about 300 degrees of beautiful pines. There was a fresh blanket of snow everywhere, no tracks. In fact, we only saw two people the whole time, and it was on the way back. The sunshine could not have been more glorious. And, of course, the beautiful Colorado blue sky that has wrecked the sky of other states forever. And I knew, I could feel, I mean, I know you know this feeling, and I don't know how often you ignore it, I do sometimes, but I could feel the, come come on, let's come into the bowl. Just stand there. So we were still, and eventually our heart started to rest and calm down a little bit. And it was so clear that the gift of that moment, there was harmony and there was, there was peace. But I want to add another word to it. It was authentic. Nature is always authentic. Snow can't pretend to be rain or wind. The sky can't pretend to be grass. A tree is a tree is a tree. And it was so authentic that it just 
allowed me to just settle. Even my mind stopped doing its thing. And I remembered the song, Still, Still, Still. Tis the eve of our Savior's birth. The night is peaceful all around you. And don't be confused, because night isn't always dark. It can happen during the day. Dream, dream, dream of the joyous day to come. But you had to be on the trail. You had to be willing to go where a small voice beckoned. Not just the unexpected, but the unfamiliar place of Sourdough Trail and the beauty that was just there waiting to be found. One last little story. I went on a retreat this summer. It was to learn nonviolent communication. And there was a lot of embodiment involved in that and of, of, being, of trying to quiet your mind with um, Buddhist practices. And typically when I go on retreat, it's completely silent, which I love. And the whole campus is silent, except for the teachers who speak to you. But this practice of peace retreat was in Berkeley, not on a quiet street. In fact, for emphasis, there was construction right outside. How perfect. That was day four thought. Day one, two, three, I will not share here. (laughs) But day four was how perfect. Because like this service where we are interjecting practices of peace, there's also going to be very lively moments. And that's what life is. Being able to walk in peace in that wholeness, in that centeredness, in the midst of it all. And if we, I actually did fall twice on that trail. If we slip off the trail, just get up and keep going. Because we're all going to slip. But that's what the practices of peace are. And so I'm going to invite you now into another practice of peace that's very common. The passing of peace one to another. An acknowledgement that peace does exist. That peace can be shared. And that it's in our connectedness that we can experience it. So, my friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.